Blog Talk Radio. Zero, longitude zero, planned by the Creator. Cisanthropus was the first man found on the Earth. That Earth was the motherland, Africa. We know that without total understanding of what happened in the past, it would be difficult to relate to the future. We know that within the structure of the music, there should be a message, and the message should be truth. So now, we give you Africa, the center of the world. humanity, human being, human love, on a spiritual tip, so vast, so great, the African embrace, live beyond love beyond your skin to where you belong Africa. Lebon, Lebon, I'm on the Pinana. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
come and speak on some upcoming important events and what's going on in our community. We would like to at this particular time make a apology for not having our brother Kweku from London, England, and Ghana to appear on this particular show because we have encountered some technical difficulties that is out of our control, and we'll try harder next week to see if we can have a warrant. So again, our apologies to our brother. We say hello to him and our people over there, and we will continue to struggle the best way we know how. So at this point in time, like always, we'd like to encourage you to join in to today's program by calling in at 323-679-0841. Hit 1, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. This is Africa on the Move, and you know how we do it on this particular program. The way we get started with our party is the first and foremost is to introduce to you our political panelists and analysts for today's program. We at this point in time we would like to bring forward Brother Haki and welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Brother Haki. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name <clears throat> my name is Haki Kamasa Mishoki, Colonel with African Awareness. And for sake of time I'm gonna get right to it and, and pose this question. What is freedom? It's a question that has to be addressed. Uh, nonetheless, uh, there's a bit of, quite a bit of confusion with respect to freedom. Anyway, I wrote this, so I want you to take this, check this out, Brother Africa. Uh, Carl Quigley, a historian, wrote a book entitled Tragedy and Hope. The book talks about the origin of central banks and other international financial, financial organizations and their stated purpose. These financial organizations, financed by wealthy Western elites, were created to ensure financial control of the world's economies will remain in private hands. By maintaining control of money or currencies, wealthy elites are in a position to dominate every country's economic and political systems. This information is important in understanding the question of freedom and why the concept varies based upon who is asked to define the question of freedom. The earliest architects of capitalism advocated a Machiavellian approach to achieving one's objective by utilizing ruthlessness and deception to amass power. Power could be obtained by controlling resource allocations to the powerless, but such a plan was fought with difficulties because the powerless found themselves in a situation where stealing and imprisonment was preferable to the desolation and torment of empty stomachs. A new method of subjugation would involve utilizing payment in exchange for labor, which not only resolved the issue of resistance, but would enhance the power of the powerful. Of course, utilizing pay had long, precedent in it, long preceded its advent in what became known as the West. Pre-Hellenistic African societies before the evolution of Greece, including Nubia, Kush, Abyssinia, um, the East African countries, ancient Ghana and Mali had lying established the president are using gold, copper, etc. for pay. The difference of payment delivery systems between ancient African states and Western implementation of payment systems was one of philosophy. Most African states sought to ensure accessibility to pay, while many Western leaders sought to restrict access to pay, thereby enhancing the power of those who control how much was paid out. To sort of propensity to advocate control utilizing money did not end with antiquity. The control factor was enhanced by philosophy by some Western philosophers that validated the pursuit of power at all costs. It made sense in the early 20th century that eight wealthiest people, West, Westerners in the world, uh, over a nine-day period on Jekyll Island, Georgia, would complete the final phase in their plan, solidifying their mastery and control over the world's economies. Now, with the newly established Federal Reserve in the U.S. in place, strategic control of both world's economics and politics was assured 
far beyond the abilities of governments or politicians to control. Now, creating the perception once the society is free entails much manipulation. Freedom in, freedom in context of Western liber, liberalism does not mean people are free to live their best lives. The freedom Western elites espouses the freedom to accept constraints imposed by its institutions. One of the biggest constraints imposed by Western institutions is access to capital. Freedom of access to capital is forbidden for a couple of reasons. One, access to capital means empowerment, empowerment or the ability to change political paradigms, which threaten capitalists who benefit from the current economic arrangement. This explains why one-tenth of one percent of the population control over 25% of the world's wealth, while the top 1% control over 40% of all the world's wealth. Or put it another way, why eight billionaires, multi-billionaires control over 50 control more wealth than 50% of the bottom of, of the entire world population. Secondly, capitalism creates scarcity. Because resources are organized to benefit wealth, there is no incentive to see comparative advantage. If society was organized to incorporate the most efficient and productive locations to produce resources, this would eliminate wasteful repetition and competition that results in artificial high prices and scarcity that results in sales are low. However, the biggest deception about freedom in the West of perception voting will facilitate freedom. Facilitating this fraud is achieved in a myriad of ways, but the most clever strategy involves president directives or executive orders. Theoretically, both supposed to carry the weight of law. Ironically, needs to compel the federal and state institutions to comply. Both presidential directives and executive orders serve as suggestions, nothing more. For example, Trump enacted the First Step Act. The aim of this policy was to reduce both mandatory minimum sentence and three strikes three strikes laws, supposedly to benefit the African community. Interestingly enough, reduce, or the word reduce is not definitive. Essentially, Trump is leaving it to the states to decide how to proceed. Three strikes rules have long been discouraged when prison, ran, prison authorities ran out of capacity to imprison additional, additional people. Now, in addition to prison lack of capacity, violent crime rates have been falling since the 1980s. Perception crime is evasive only serves the interests of powerful people who want to instill the maximum fear to best facilitate conditions where the manipulation of the populace is easier to achieve. A fearful people would embrace any policy, even that policy does not serve their interests, provided they think their safety is assured. Ironically, as violent crimes in cities decrease, violent crimes in the suburbs are increasing. Traditionally, when crimes spike, politicians are first to advocate, lock them up. Now that violent crime impacts middle-class people in suburbia, response is muted. Perhaps exposing crime in suburbia is seen as an indictment of capitalism and the social costs associated with it, particularly when we talk about the fact that when you talk about these social costs, you've got to understand that we talk about a, a tremendous waste of funds in addition to locking up large, large and large number of people who come out angry and angrier who are more maladaptive in terms of their ability to deal with society. People become much more, more, more aggressive, much more dangerous. So that's the social costs associated with actually locking people up. And clearly they don't want to do that because we're talking about suburbia. We're talking about, quote, unquote, middle-income people. Now, even though now even though media proclaims Trump's compassion for African people, recently speaking, it was a ploy, a trick to deceive. Former President Obama was ridiculed for not using more presidential directives or executive orders. But Obama understood it was window dressing, and he refused to take part in the theater. So kudos to Obama for his willingness not to play, play that game in terms of making it appear that he's on the job and he's actually doing something in terms of making people's lives better. When in reality, he knows president directors and executive orders are nothing more than window dressing for this sole purpose of making people think that this is actually a democracy. Now, when we conclude with this, Brother Africa, 
The investing financial international institutions define the politics and economics of a nation, including the U.S., that the interests of that particular country could never supersede the combined interests of central banks throughout the world. If it is deemed the U.S. has served its purpose and no longer needed, putting in place strategies to undermine the U.S. economy would not be difficult at all. The, the falling value of the U.S. dollars, qualitative easing, the excessive amount of free money to corporations and the wealthy, corporate debt are all self-inflicted wounds. The question is, given the fact that these are all self-inflicted wounds, why does it persist? And more importantly, the question we have to ask ourselves as a community, given the fact that these things are going to lead to the, to the destruction of the economy, why are African people, why are immigrants, why are the poor generally blamed for the problems that are confronted with this economic, with this economic system? So clearly we got some questions to ask ourselves. So my, my final question would be simply this. I would ask people, you know, in your heart of hearts, do you really think you're free? If you're not free, the question is, what are you going to do? And I close with that, Brother Africa. And, again, thanks for having me. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we go to our Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the move. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during the government class back in my high school years in 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. Thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. Thank you, Brother Moses, for your contribution, as always. Hi, panelists, listen, audience. We're going to do something a little different as we talk about what's going on in our world and the community before we get to the segment. We're going to take a little pause for the calls in terms of taking you down memory lane. We're going to listen to some historical uh, events, presentations that took place in the past. As we continue to address this question of unity, we need unity. We're going to listen to some presentations by Nkrumah and Kwame Ture for the next 10, 15 minutes, then we'll come back. We're going to have a dialogue on it. We welcome you to call in on it. And then we'll go into our panelists' uh, perspective on what's going on in our world and the community. So when we talk about freedom, Brother Haki, as you alluded to, one of the aspects that we must talk about to in order to acquire freedom is we must have this question of unity. So let's listen to some of these messages from our forefathers.
This requires some plain speaking. And for the sake of Africa, let us speak plainly. As I see, our greatest danger stems from disunity and the inability to see that the realization of our hopes and aspirations, the realization of our objective of total African independence and of our future progress and prosperity is inextricably bound up with the necessity to unify our policy and actions in connection with the continued struggle for independence and the greater tax of economic and social construction beyond it. We need unity within the ranks of independent states. We need unity within the ranks of the freedom fighters still struggling to achieve independence. And we need unity between the already independent states and the freedom fighters. I do not think that too much stress can ever be laid upon this need for unity. It is our unity that the imperialist agencies are trying every means to obstruct and sever. It is the idea of African unity that they fear most. It seems only intelligent, therefore, for us to close our ranks and compact our forces. If we independent states were unified in a political and economic union, having a common foreign and defense policy, controlling a unified military command, you should be in a much stronger position to assess the territory still struggling for independence. An overall economic plan covering an Africa united on a continental basis must increase our total industrial economic power. Hence, our combined strength, reinforced by a common purpose, would add enormously to the united front which we could stand against the enemy. So long as we remain disunited, so long as we remain balkanized, whether regionally or in separate national units, we shall be at the mess of imperialism and colonialism. We must therefore face the issue of African unity now. For only unity will make the artificial boundaries and regional demarcations imposed by colonialism obsolete and superfluous. African unity will thus provide an effective remedy for border disputes and international troubles. In a united Africa, there could be no frontier claims between Ethiopia and Somalia, or between Zanzibar and Kenya, Guinea or Liberia, or between Ghana, Togoland and the Ivory Coast. Because because we would regard ourselves as one great continental family of nations. Among the new states in Africa are some which, through fragmentation, have been left so weak economically that they are unable to stand on their own feet. This is the result of a deliberate policy of the withdrawing colonial powers who have created in Africa several small, feeble, 
on stable and unbearable states in the hope of ensuring their continued dependence upon the former colonial power for economic and technical aid. Indeed, the intention goes further than that and is more insidious. It is to produce a political atmosphere as dangerous to the safety and progress of African independence as that which followed the establishment of the many friable nations which were created in Eastern Europe by the Congress of Vienna in 1814 to 1815. The underlying design is to induce national jealousies and rivalries such as nourish the outbreak of the First World War. At best, it is hoped that such a policy may lead to open conflict. At worst, it must present tough obstacles to the movement for total African freedom and African unity. This is the inner plan of new colonialism, the latest instrument of imperialism. While relinquishing political rule, it contrives to control the foreign and internal policy of the state. It still dominates through the pastoral of material aid. In effect, only the outward forms have changed, but the substance of colonialism remains just the same. <laughs> Foreign imports are still protected. Local development is clamped down. Social progress is retarded, and fiscal policy is controlled from the metropolitan capital. The impact of these semi-independent states on the liberation of Africa is calamitous. Bound up as they are with the policies of their sponsors, they are unable to take a determined independent line on issues involving the colonialists and the still enslaved people of this continent. Some of the leaders, it must be confessed, do not see the struggle of their brother Africans as part of their own struggle. Even if they did, they would not be free to express their solidarity. This rift are consciously created by the imperials between Africans, where they can sit back and watch with sly satisfaction as well as contempt for those who fail to see how they are being used against Africa's best interests. Regrettably, regrettably, those states include some who were among the freedom fighters of yesterday and who haven't won their independence are willing to drop it for some token aid and thereby deny to those still struggling for freedom even their moral support. Here is a phenomenon against which all African freedom fighters must be on their guard and resist to the utmost. Even though I appreciate the difficulties facing us, I must admit I find it strange to watch some of us returning willingly to the colonialist fold. This time, they don't even have the excuse of being forced to subject themselves to foreign domination. It makes one wonder 
Why so much effort and sacrifice and so many lives were given up to the achievement of independence in the first place? If it can only be so quickly and easily surrendered. Unhappily for us, colonialism creates in some intellectual allegiances which are not severed at the moment of independence but remain to condition loyalties away from Africa towards the metropolis which draws them. They are unable to disappear, to accept the idea that Africans can get together to make a viable and growing concern of a combined African continent, but rather see their salvation in coming together in association like the Franco-African community mooted recently at Bangu. Although there are many here who speak English, French, Spanish, or Portuguese, nevertheless, we are all Africans. <laughs> Africans fighting for Africa's independence, Africa's unity, Africa's future. Becoming conscious is linked to mobilization and organization, something we mentioned last year. We must make clear distinctions between mobilizers and organizers. To be an organizer, you must be a mobilizer, but being a mobilizer doesn't make you an organizer. Much confusion is to be found here. Malcolm X was a great mobilizer. He was a great organizer. Martin Luther King was a great mobilizer. He was not a great organizer. These facts can be easily seen from King and Malcolm. When Malcolm went to a place, he left a mosque. When King went to demonstrations, he broke down desegregation and he moved on. As a matter of fact, King was not concerned with organization to the point that even though he was the most popular Baptist preacher in America without the shadow of a doubt, and probably beyond the shadow of a doubt, the most loved, he could not become president of the Baptist, National Baptist Association, Convention. Yeah, so many of them. The National Baptist Convention. <laughs> As a matter of fact, if my memory serves me correctly now, and I remember it was Mohammed Speaks that uh, carried the article on the front page in 1964 when King tried to become president of the National uh, Baptist Convention. There was so much confusion there that a minister was actually put, pushed off the stage and died in the trouble. Yeah. And of course, King lost. The man who won was a reactionary man by the name of Jackson. He never did nothing for the people, never cared about the people, just was a pork chop minister who used their money to put gas in his big Cadillac. But he was organized. But he was organized. We say that we must come to know the difference between mobilization and organization because the enemy will use mobilization to demobilize us. Mobilization is very easy, very, very easy. Because since we're people who are instinctively ready to respond against acts of injustice, anytime there's one little act of injustice, we can blow it up and we'll find people who come and make some mass demonstration around it. 
Miss Sally lost a job. Let's rally. She'll get her job back. People will come and rally. So-and-so got kicked out of school because the teacher's unjust. The unjust, the people will come and rally. They will come to rally at issues. And this is what mobilization does. It mobilizes people around issues. Those of us who are revolutionary are not concerned with issues. We're concerned with the system. The difference must be properly understood. The difference must be properly understood. Mobilization usually leads to reform action, not to revolutionary action. If we would look scientifically at the October 16th million and more march, we would see clearly that this was a mobilized event, not an organized event. We must know clearly the difference between mobilization and organization. One of the characteristics of mobilization is that it is temporary. Organization is permanent and eternal. Clear differences must be made because the unconscious can usually be captured easily around one-issue items, around mobilization items, but it's hard to catch them around organization. But these unconscious must be brought to organization. We must transform mobilization to organization. We say the enemy will come and use mobilization to demobilize us. Many brothers and sisters who've been to the Million and More March will say to you, I was there. Well, what are you doing today, my sister? I was there. There weren't too many sisters out there, but you know, with a million brothers together, you know where I had to be. I was there. <laughs> and then, of course, you find brothers, yeah, I was there, I was there. I helped you. What are you doing today, brother? If we're not careful, we allow mobilization to become events. The struggle is never an event. It's a process, a continual, eternal process. And Africanism must come from the bottom up, from the mass of the people up. It is here then that we'll come to see the real aspect of Pan-Africanism. We said that in the Fifth Pan-African Congress they called for mass organizations, and immediately mass organizations sprang up throughout the length and breadth of the African world. The Conventional People's Party, a mass party, sprang up in Ghana. The Democratic Party of Guinea, a mass party, sprang up in Guinea. Throughout the length and breadth of Africa you had the TANU, the Tanzanian African National Union, which is now the CCM. My Swahili is uh, not as good as yours. It's Chumpa, Chimpuraza, Mazuri. That's very good. Oh, <laughs> my, my Swahili is bad. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly, exactly. And uh, that's their new party. But all over Africa, mass parties sprung up. If you look at the Caribbean, mass parties sprung up. And if you look at the United States, mass movements sprang up. So the call was heeded for mass confrontation. Of course, the Fifth Pan-African Congress made two definite and precise resolutions which I want to uh, highlight. Of course, Pan-Africanism from the very beginning was anti-colonial. From the very beginning it was anti-colonial. It was weak. So when they came, they didn't say to the Queen, we're going to put you out of the country. They said, you must treat the natives right. You must educate them. You must prepare them for self-government. These are things that are weak, but they were anti-colonial in essence. We must not look at the form. And we got stronger, the more this anti-colonialism will express itself. Now, anti-colonialism is nothing but anti-capitalism. Because colonialism is nothing but an offshoot, an aspect of capitalism. Therefore, if you're anti-colonial, you must be anti-capitalist, if you're logical in your thinking, of course, and your actions. Some people are not, but we are speaking of logical people here. <laughs> if you're anti-capitalist, then you must be socialist. Capitalism cannot unite Africa. 
Africa has to be united by socialism. Now, there's a lot of confusion here on this question of capitalism and socialism. Just recently, a young man said to me, but socialism died. I said, it did. He said, you didn't hear about it? I said, I missed the funeral. <laughs> of course, he spoke about the betrayals that occurred in the East. You must not let capitalism confuse your thinking. This is a struggle which Pan-Africanism takes on. We struggle against imperialism in the illogical arena because many people think that capitalism just wants to exploit your labor. It wants to confuse your thinking and make you think just like them. And this is where the real fight occurs. So therefore, this struggle of confusing the thinking. I told the man, I said, you're talking nonsense. Socialism cannot uh, uh, disappear. It cannot die. He said, yes, it can. I said, no. He said, how do you say that? I said, well, you are judging uh, socialism by socialists. You don't do that. He said, I've never heard such nonsense. If you don't judge socialism by socialists, what do you judge it by? I say, you judge it by its principles. Every system is judged by its principles, never its adherence. So he still saw confusion. He said, you're just talking double talk. I said, okay, do you judge Christianity by Christians? <laughs> So we must not be confused here. Socialism doesn't fall because of betrayal. No system does. The person who betrays themselves goes to the mud, but the system with its eternal principles keep marching on. If a system fell because of betrayal, Christianity would have been finished with Judas. At least Judas had the dignity to hang himself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some of these who betray socialism don't have that dignity. Gorbachev still runs around speaking and I'm picking up 30 pieces of silver everywhere. Yeah. So uh, socialism is an economic system. And there can only be two in the world, capitalism or socialism, because every economic system must answer one fundamental question. Who will own and control the wealth of the country? Who will own and control the means of production? The question can only be answered two ways. Either a few will own or everyone will own. It's as simple as that. And under capitalism, we say, please, please summarize that we might have... No, I'm going. I thought I had 20 minutes. It's my time. I thought I had 20 minutes. I was going by the clock. How much time do I have left? I'm sorry, maybe I'm off. That's what I thought I did. I was watching it. No, I'm watching my clock. I'm irresponsible. I'm rev revolutionary. I go back to my clock. Thank you. Matter of fact, I can say it in two words, black power. <laughs> and today we've gone to one, Pan-Africanism. <laughs> yeah. So there are only two economic systems, and it's going to be capitalism or socialism. Capitalism is a backward system. There's no need to discuss it. Certainly anyone who's been made a slave by capitalism ought to be hesitant in trying to support the system. But as a conscious African, I must be against capitalism and I must, of course, seek to destroy it. So in, when you speak of Pan-Africanism, you must understand you speak of socialism. And we want to underline there's only one socialism out here, and that's scientific socialism, whose principles are abiding and universal. There's no such thing as African socialism, Chinese socialism, Russian socialism, Arab socialism. There's only one socialism. The confusion arises over ideology. That is that which guides you towards your objective. So we're saying clearly here, Pan-Africanism is not an ideology. It is an objective. It is an achievable. Pan-Africanism is the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. All we want is a unified continent with a socialist system. That's all. But you know Africa is the richest continent in the world. When she's properly organized, she'll be the most powerful. Yeah, of course. Of course, and me, all I want is power. <laughs> I'm not like others. I don't want money. I don't want popularity. I just want the power I'm supposed to get. That's all. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> In our struggle since the 60s, you will see nothing but betrayals by the petty bourgeois elements in our society. 
The African bourgeoisie is the most corrupt bourgeoisie in the world. In Africa, they seek luxury in the midst of mass suffering. There are more Mercedes in Africa than in any other continent in the world. In America, as soon as they arrive at a position based on the blood of the people, they snatch that position and run away from the people. But you must not think that they represent the people. They only represent their opportunistic self using the people every step of the way. So you must not be confused. It must be clear then, for the 60s, the class struggle in the African Revolution must be more ruthless and uncompromising than in any other revolution. Here then the masses must come without pity and without mercy to trample upon these reactionary pigs who after the people have gained struggle through their blood come to hand back the gains on a silver platter to the very enemy the people fought. This will come as a natural consequence. The people themselves are everywhere screaming that it's time for them to deal with these reactionary pigs. Even in America they say, our leaders must be held accountable. They're only saying here that these people must be accountable to those who made it possible for them to get there. Thus, not only is the revolution inevitable, but it is clarifying itself and it is qualifying itself. For the African masses everywhere, the clairpoise position now for class struggle has become inevitable and irreversible. The petty bourgeoisie everywhere will be running for cover, but the masses will spare them not. Consequently, we who have dedicated our lives to the people's struggle, we who knowing that the people will always be free, we, understanding that we must make a contribution to qualify our struggle since the 60s, have been, have been dedicating all our energies to only one task, the organization of the masses of our people. The organization of the masses of our people. We are not running for mayor, we're not running for president. No changes can come from the top down, we're not stupid. Changes can only come from the bottom up. The masses and the masses alone can make them. If you want to learn something from the 60s, the lesson is simple. Organize the masses of the people. Thank you. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. You, you just won the, uh, the historical uh, limits of lessons that we should take heed of and learn from as it relates to our forefathers. Yeah, I've heard some perspectives from Osegafo Kwame Nkrumah, who was the first president of Ghana, and Brother Kwame Jure, formerly known as Thokli Carmichael, as the address to the African people in the world around the whole issue of dealing with the oppression of African people in the continent of Africa. Whether it speak to freedom, whether it speak to this call for pan-Africanism, whether it speak to understanding that when we talk about oppression, we are talking about systems and alternatives for our people to move forward and to be united as one can only take place under a socialist scientific government. These are some of the ideals, goals, objectives that were raised in these presentations and we would like to hear from you. What have you learned or listened to the legacies of our forefathers, the lessons that they have left us before we go into what's going on in our community and the world with our panelists and analysts. 
We'd like to bring them back in, and we would just like to have a little bit of discourse on some of the things that were mentioned in these recent historical presentations and how we can apply them today so we can properly move our people forward and not be um, sidetracked by the gains and the deceptions that are going on today. We welcome back Brother Haki and Brother Moses back. Brother Haki, you're listening to some of the presentations that was given to us historically from Nkrumah and Brother Kwame Ture. One of the issues they raised, which I thought was very important, and I'd like you and maybe Brother Mosley address, is the issue of the importance of not to be sidetracked by issues, but look at the essence of the systems that one is directed by or governed by and challenge systems and not so much as take on issues. Can you elaborate at least your perspective on that phenomenon? The mistakes and errors that we have made and continue made, where we are being guided by issues and not we're looking at the essence of the system that is dictating everything as it relates to our thinking and our actions as we continue to seek our unity and freedom. Yeah, there is this propensity in terms of engaging with what uh, you know, on, we on the left often refer to as identity politics. Uh, for instance, you know, you have a situation where people organize around in terms of, you know, um, uh, protection for animals uh, or, or non-abuse of animals. Or you have people organizing around the issue in terms of as it relates to um, uh, gay rights. Or people organize around the question in terms of um, um, the empowerment of women. So you have all these identity, you have these identity politics, you have these ideas that are being floated around, and don't get me wrong, all of them are legitimate expressions in terms of what's fundamentally wrong with the system, and there's no question about that. But what we don't want to understand is that when we understand the system, we understand there's a catalyst involved. There is a beginning, there's an origin in terms of all of these problems. Uh, there's one catalyst that links all of these problems that we have as humanity, and that is capitalism. And one of the things that identity politics do is prevents us from even dealing with the issue in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, you know, capitalism. For instance, in, 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 in the U.K., the um, Extinction Rebellion does a very good job in terms of um, mobilizing folks around the issue in terms of climate change. And that's a very important thing. It's clearly, when you look in terms of the decimation of the, of the climate, then only a fool would say that climate, ch- climate change is not happening. So they do a very good job in terms of, all, you know, um, 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 you know, uh, getting people to come out in terms of participating in terms of events, in terms of highlighting, you know, the problem in terms of global warming. Uh, but the problem is that in in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the context of, of what they're attempting to do, there's no discussion, no intimate discussion in terms of capitalism, in terms of why it's important. In terms of you can talk about climate destruction, then you can't talk about climate destruction without talking about the role of capitalism. So if you, if you admit capitalism, then you're not serious about discussion in terms of global warming. So in other words, engaging in these kind of identity politics is, is sort of, afford us a certain kind of comfortability in which we don't have to, you know, we don't have to deal with, with, with hardcore capitalism. Because one of the things that uh, many of us in the movement understand, once you start saying that capitalism must be eradicated, then not only are you creating enemies, uh, very powerful enemies, you know, in the, in the system, but also you're creating a situation where a lot of people in your community are going to uh, be seriously, um, will seriously frowned upon the position that you take. And so there's a certain amount of isolation that you feel in terms of presenting certain issues. 
But all that aside, you know, the reality is that, you know, if we're talking about the longevity of humanity, if we're talking about the longevity of the planet, then we have to talk about discussion in terms, around the question in terms of what is capitalism, what does it mean in your life? Uh, often, you know, what, what, what the brother said, uh, Brother Kwame Nkrumah talked about, he talked about the fact that there are those, you know, uh, who, for whatever reason, are hesitant to even talk about the question in terms of the exploitation of African people. In fact, he talked about the fact that you wage this long bit of war in terms of freeing yourself from Western domination, then you turn right around and you allow these same forces to dominate your politics, to dominate e- economics. And so what is the logic in that? So clearly this, this colonial mindset, this self-hatred that's so prevalent among so many of our people is, has to be dealt with on a systematic level. But it's a very difficult challenge because one of the things in terms of getting people to understand this colonial mindset, thinking like a slave, uh, one thing that it, it exists on a subconscious level, and so people are not even aware that they, they, they think like that. They just do things and, 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 and think it's a natural recourse in terms of the way they do things and never ask themselves, why did I do things a particular way? For instance, you talk about, what, okay, it's fine to support uh, um, Biden in terms of the presidency, but if you really think Biden's presidency is going to resolve the issues that you're fundamentally confronting in terms of unemployment, homelessness, lack of education, uh, proper food, uh, shelter, and so forth and so on, then you're seriously mistaken. But colonial mentality makes it possible for you to conceive that, in fact, his, his being president is going to do you some good. So it's a kind of, it's a kind of insanity that pervades the mind in terms of the colonial mindset in which we have to deal with. And, of course, the thing is it's very difficult in terms of dealing with that mindset because one of the things, nobody wants to be reminded that they have a colonial mindset. And one of the reasons why you can't have organization, as Kwame Nturi talked about, Brother Kwame Nturi talked about, is that when any time, you know, when, when, when you talk about organization, you've got to have these discussions that take place. People who are not as informed or not as knowledgeable, who have certain um, uh, antiquated thoughts, uh, certain backwards ideas in terms of, you know, society, are hesitant to even have engage in discussion, which those uh, those those deficiencies will be brought out, and so there is a compelling need in terms of psychological need uh, for those individuals to not engage in discussion, and so therefore organization becomes impossible simply because they're not going to engage in discussion because they know even though theoretically they can theorize you know the backwardness of what they say, they understand on an intuitive level that a lot of things they say is crazy based upon what they hear coming out of other people's mouths. So clearly, it's a very difficult obstacle, but nonetheless, it's an obstacle we have to uh, we have to we have to we have to take on. I think one of the things that I think is going to be a great uh, uh, benefit in terms of the movement, I think, is the conditions. I think we can talk, 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 talk in terms of the problems that our people are confronted with, the problems that humanity is confronted with. But until people are intimately in, uh, uh, impacted by those problems, it doesn't have much credibility. So what's happening now is those people historically talked about uh, who always say that people who were unemployed were lazy, they didn't want to work, those same people are now unemployed. So now they're more susceptible, susceptible uh, excuse me, they're more amenable to the idea in terms of, well, maybe, you know, i got to start looking at the system what it is. Maybe I've been looking at the system all wrong because now this, the problem in terms of being unemployed affects them personally. And so they have a personal stake and better understanding what the hell is going on in this society. So, um, so, so the conditions are such that it's deteriorating, and so you know, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm confident, you know, that these conditions are going to be part and parcel of the reason why a lot of people are going to question a lot of these antiquated thoughts that they have in their mind, all these backwards thoughts that they have, and begin to see with clarity in terms of why it's so in, it's a necessity in terms of not just destroying capitalism, but in, in, in but, but creating a a, 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 a a socialist system, in particular, a socialist system in which Africa is unified and under scientific socialism, because it's important. 
because there is no there is no justice for humanity. There's no justice specifically for African people if you have a strong and consolidated Africa. And that's just the bottom line. That's just not uh, that's just that's, that's that's not rhetorical. That is a fact. Uh, when you look at it in terms of how power how power is, is, is how power is, is well and uh, you know in, in society, it's always based upon a group. It's not an individual. It's based upon a group. Western nations are able to wear great power because they work together as a unit. It's very simple. Asian nations, under, under the tutelage of China, begin to understand that in order for us to excel, in order for us to do what we got to do for our population, in order for us to create viable economies, then we have to work together in terms of you know, fighting these Western forces to create what is in the best interest in terms of development of our society. African people must do the same thing. It's very, very simple. It's not rocket science. It's not trigonometry. It's very, very simple to understand. You know, uh, no confusion at all in terms of why it's so ne- a necessity in terms of African people working together. But we have to have this organization. We have the organization. The struggle continues. And people say, well, you know what? You guys, you talk, 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 talk. We need to see some action. And then you raise the question, okay, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? Tell us what you want us to do. Well, I have no idea, but we can do something. Well, number one, you have no idea what we can do, but we can do something. But secondly, even if we, if we did do something, you wouldn't understand what we're doing, and so you wouldn't support it, so which means that everything we do is for naught. So we don't, we don't, we don't really create a, a hazard for the movement because we don't do something in which the mass of people are not prepared for. And so, therefore, we're not free to simply do something simply because it, it, it looks good or it's convenient or we think that it's needed. We have to have some science in terms of, uh, in terms of, in terms of applying it, in terms of movement, in terms of when you do things, why you do things, under what context you do things. So it's very, very clear that you actually think about what's going, what goes on in society. So we need organization to clarify precisely what it is that we're up against and why we have to fight. Because without that essential knowledge, then there's no way possible to create organization in terms of fighting you know, for the interests of our people, for the interests of humanity generally, if we don't understand fundamentally what the hell the stakes are. And right at this point in history, the struggle continues. And, uh, you know, on the back and say is, you know, uh, you know, you know, for those out there who are struggling, who are trying to grow intellectually, by all means, keep reading, keep growing, because you're going to be needed. And Brother Moses, your response to what you heard so far? Yes, um, it's been a very, very educational. Kwame um, Ture, obviously, you know, is a student of the revolution and therefore has learned the truth of the revolution, and um, and and we thank goodness for that. Um, um, you know, I I'm at the risk of sounding ridiculous. A true revolutionary is guided by great feelings of love for the people, and certainly, certainly, um, we want to have a, a pan-African uh, situation to develop uh, in the, as we struggle for it. Uh, as a communist, I'm for international world 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 movement, international world movement, and of course I'm for scientific socialism anywhere and everywhere it can be had. Um, the struggle, the struggle, you know, takes place um, beginning right where you are and, and making a stand right where you are, and and going and building from grassroots on out, and um, I find that um you know we have to have a, a organization to achieve an objective an organization is to achieve an objective and and so the program and the the 
uh, uh, the objectives of the organization must be clear because the ideological and political correctness or incorrectness of the ideological and political lines will be decisive in terms of if you have the correct line, you will gain friends. If you have the incorrect line, you will lose friends. And um, but you know we we stand on the truth, and um, the working class and is is the hope for the for the USA. Um, uh, uh, the working class has to take control of the of the of the government, and uh, and certainly we need leadership. But the, we have to be clear that the masses and the masses alone are going to make world history. And and so, you know, we we continue to struggle for unity. Yes, we have to have unity. Um, um, we have to have clear lines of demarcation in terms of the United Front against fascism. You know, if without a clear stand and understanding of what fascism is, it's like um, it's impossible to to achieve communism because fascism came into being to a to destroy communism. That is the objective of fascism. And so we have to fight it on a united front. That's what we learned from World War II, is we have to maintain a united front of the democratic, socialist, and communist forces against the fascist forces. We have to use all means available and any means necessary. And so, you know, um, and concretely in the U.S., that means Trump has got to go. but anyway, um, I I won't ramble on. Thank you. All right, what we're going to do right now, this audience, we have one of our invited guests who have just joined us. His name is Brother Wanimu Kinka. He's an organizer for the All African Peoples, Revolutionary Party GC, and they are hosting a very important event, which I believe will be taking place on November 14th. Starting at 12 noon Eastern Time, U.S. And we'd like to bring them in because we'd like to talk about this important event coming up and particularly how it may have an impact on giving our people the proper direction in terms of not only how to move forward, but also give us a better understanding of maybe how to view and analyze our world from our historical perspective. So at this point in time, we'd like to bring Brother Waluigi in and welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome to Africa on the Moon, Brother Waluigi. Okay, we're trying to bring it in. We have some technical difficulties. Hopefully, in the right now, I think we have them. Welcome, Brother Waluigi, to Africa on the Moon. Okay. Yeah, we're just happy to be a part of your program and and then give, to be given an opportunity to talk about the. Uh, the uh, Kwame Ture commemoration, November 14th. So we're very happy to be here. You know, Brother Iwalimu, um, when we talk about this whole question of giving our people some sense of a proper direction of how to move forward and how to view their problems and their oppression, how do you view what kind of impact this particular seminar or program will have as we look at this issue of addressing how to move our people forward and how they should perceive what is going on today from a perspective of their history and our culture, how would this program aid in that process? 
Well, the commemoration of Kwame uh, Ture is not about him as a person or a personality or, or the honoring of um, Kwame Nkrumah and Ahmed Sekou Ture, uh, Patrice Lumumba, and uh, Mangaliso Robinson Bukwe. Uh, it, it is not uh, the personalities that we're trying to emphasize, but looking at them as Pan-Africanists, as revolutionary Pan-Africanists, and their role in history as it relates to that struggle, you know, which we think is, is, the, uh, is the only struggle when you talk about the liberation of African people. And, uh, and, and so Nkrumah and Sekouture and Lumumba, Modibu Keita, there were others. That was tr- the tradition that they followed. And uh, as the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, we also uh, seek the, uh, to, to follow those traditions, both ideologically and also their practice. And, and so uh, Nkrumah teaches, and, and he is correct, and, uh, and Sekouture says it probably the most clearly, that without revolutionary consciousness, there can be no revolution. And so uh, that is part of the role and responsibility of the revolutionary intelligentsia is to bring revolutionary ideas and revolutionary ideology uh, into the masses of our people. Uh, as uh, Nkrumah was clear when he said that uh, uh, there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. You know, and so we know that when the masses of the people grasp these revolutionary ideas and principles and understand that it is only through the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism that African people scattered throughout the world can be free. And, and, and so the understanding that, A, that, you know, even though we're born in the United States or Jamaica or Honduras or wherever, we are, you know, descendants of, of, of African people uh, transplanted to this part of the world, not at, by our own will. And, uh, and, and so the solution to the problem of the exploitation of African people in the United States, Canada, Western Hemisphere, Caribbean, and, and Africa itself, you know, can only, can only resolve itself with the, uh, with the building and the organization uh, of socialism in the areas in which our people live. But the, the, the foundation we, are, we, you know, we understand is, is Africa and Pan-Africanism as the objective to liberate African people. So our seminar is, is to bring these issues to the fore and have that debate and that discussion, because I think that the, the essence of revolutionary struggle is to be able to find the truth. And it's around the truth that we must organize ourselves around the truth that we must identify who our enemies are, and it's around the truth that we clearly lay out the goals and objectives of, of our struggle. And, and so that's where this seminar, we, we think, will help play uh, or help be a contribution towards, you know, that need amongst the mass of our people. You know, Brother Wadmoo, one of the aspects of a oppressed people is that they have a tendency to adopt philosophies and ideals that are really alienated to their history and our culture. Now, when we talk about the philosophy of Nkrumahism and Tereism, can you just elaborate a little bit more on some of the tools and tenets that make up this philosophy and why it's important for African people to begin to not only be exposed to this particular philosophy, but to, but to also grasp even a greater understanding of its importance well, again, one of the things that Nkrumah taught uh, and, and 
with you know with the APRPGs, we agree uh, that it is around ideology that our people must be organized. And he and, and Krumer talks about how the, how ideology is is a reflection of culture. And so, as an African, when we talk about revolutionary ideology, we're talking about an ideology that comes out of the history and the culture of the people. And so, Nkrumah, with the writing of Consciencism, sought to do that uh, and to lay out a philosophical framework that addressed uh, what he called the three Africas, which is the the Africa that was impacted by, uh, you know, the Arab intrusion or invasion, you know. It's re- historical reality. Also, the era of uh, Euro, what he calls Euro-Christian, uh, which you know we, uh, which we're into this very day under the uh, under the auspices of neocolonialism. But also, there, there's an era of traditional Africa, where Africa developed on its own volition, uh, as Secretary Secretary says, you know, with our own creative genius, and we built empires. You know, we had science and literature and and all of those things that reflected a, a high culture. And so that is the foundation that Nkrumah talks about when he talks about a revolutionary African personality, that that identity must manifest itself in Africa throughout the world. And it, in you know, the ethical principles at which African people will begin to, to relate are, you know, like collectivism, uh, egalitarianism, humanism, you know, and the principles of, of, of scientific socialism, where the needs of the people become the primary interests uh, of society and those, those types of things, and, and, and revolution and counter-revolution, class struggle, you know, criticism and self-criticism, all these dynamics uh, are, are being utilized through the ideology of Nkrumahism and Treism to weld our people together as, a, as one. And even the understanding in terms of our identity that all African people, no matter where in the world we are born, whether North, South America, the Caribbean, or any other place in, in, in the world, we are one people, and we're fighting one enemy. Or we, yeah, we're fighting neocolonialism and, and, and U.S.-led imperialism for the uh, total liberation unification of the African continent uh, under scientific socialism, and all that is tied to understand the ideology of Nkrumahism, Tereism. You know, one of the things that before you arrive on the program tonight, we are talking about this whole issue of issues versus, you know, um, looking at systems. Now, when you look at the issues that African people are faced globally, and even particularly the Africans in the U.S. at this point in time, they are looking at issues and not necessarily critiquing and understanding the impact of the system. Brother Toure um, made a statement in one of his presentations, and as well as Nkrumah said, capitalism cannot unite Africa, African people. Why it can't do that? And what's the alternative when we're talking about uniting a group of people globally, uh, Africans? Uh, I think, one, uh, again, we have to go to ideology. And we have to go to the principles that that will weld us together as a people. Um, and one of those principles has to be there can be no exploitation of one human being over another. That has to be a principle by which welds us together as a people. And that's where how we draw the line in terms of the fight, who we are fighting against and what we are fighting for. There's no question that the primary enemy of African people worldwide is the capitalist system. 
and has been in, in terms of its own development and its need for, for land and its need for labor, uh, which Europe was not able to produce in the, in the European diaspora. So they enslaved us uh, a, a, as a people. And, um, and, and, and so, you know, it's th- those types of understandings, uh, it is important. Capitalism is the enemy. And so, well, if capitalism is, is the enemy, then w- who are the friends? Well, the friends are those of of our people, and we and Secretary calls them the people that want to live in a world that is devoid of oppression, exploitation. And history says that those are the masses of the people who, if you ask the question, do they want to be exploited? Of course, they would say no. If you ask them if they want to be oppressed, they would say no. But they don't have the information, they don't have the historical understanding of their role in history. And so when you talk earlier about uh, issues, issues are only symptoms of the problem. Police, police brutality is only a symptom of the problem. The oppression of, 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 of workers in this country, that's a contradiction, but the fundamental contradiction is the genocide against the indigenous peoples and nations of this hemisphere. That's the most fundamental contradiction that has to be reconciled in revolutionary struggle. I think, you know, in terms of our understanding of history. And so it is impossible for a system of exploitation to organize the people to end exploitation. That's an, an, an impossibility. So it is the people themselves, the workers, the peasants, the students, the intelligentsia, all sectors of society, our, our women, our sisters, you know, that, that, that must be organized at the level of the people, at the level of the masses, so that we can realize and build a society or have a place in the world where we have helped eliminate oppression and exploitation worldwide. But our contribution most uh, must first start with ourselves. African people must be free worldwide. And freedom for us would have to be under scientific socialism because it is an economic system and a political system that addresses the question of political power. And political power under a scientific socialist society is in the hands of the masses of the people. Brother on the 14th of November, as we talk about the seminar and tribute to Brother Kwame Ture, we realize there will be a host of other organizations that will make up this particular program. Can you talk about a little bit about the logistics of the program and theme? We only need to say the focus and who will be some of the participants and why they are evolved and what is that relationship to this whole concept of Pan-Africanism. Yeah, gladly. Um, again, this is a ideological seminar, uh, in Kumism Terrorism Ideological Seminar, uh, November 14th um, of uh, 2020. Um, it is a commemoration of, of Kwame uh, Ture, and we're using his, uh, one of his axioms, I guess you would say, uh, as the theme of the seminar. And it simply says that if Africa's children cannot alleviate her suffering, 
we can at least share them fully, the, uh, the theme of, of this, this seminar. Uh, and so we wanted to bring um, representatives um, of those who are attempting to continue the work and the struggle of other uh, Pan-Africanist revolutionaries that we are highlighting, including uh, Usajifo Kwame Nkrumah, uh, Ahmed Sekou Toure, uh, Patrice Lumumba, and, uh, and Robert Sabukwe, Robert Mangaliso Sabukwe. Um, and so, you know, from Guinea, uh, the Parti de la Revolution Populaire Africaine de Guinée uh, will, you know, which is a sister party of the uh, APRPGC, uh, they will participate. Um, the Pan-Africanist Congress of Azania, which is the party founded by uh, Tsubukwe, uh, they, they are going to participate. Uh, represent, representing that tradition and struggle of Patrice Lumumba, the Friends of the Congo, uh, are going to participate. And then the, the Osadja uh, Youth Movement of um, of Ghana, and also the victory to the people uh, of Guyana, and and so we we think that we have organized, you know, some of the persons and organizations who have history in uh, in revolutionary struggle around the question of Pan Africanism as an objective and and all these kinds of things, and so I think that in my our mind we should have a a very um, good discussion and debate and struggle. Uh, because for our party, uh, we are trying to push and advocate that our people must join an organization. Uh, you know, Kwame Teresa said all the time, you know, if, if you're not working for the people, you're working against the people. And, and so we want to really push at this stage in history with the level of suffering of our people in the United States and worldwide and, and, and at home in Africa, that we must join organization, revolutionary organization, a Pan-Africanist revolutionary organization that is going to organize us towards uh, Pan-Africanism. And so that's the basic uh, gist of the uh, the seminar and the participants in it. You know, Brother Wadmu, if you look at uh, what we call the so-called major media and the propaganda around the question of who was Brother Kwame Ture, most of the time you see that they have completely only attempted to address who he was as far as up to 1967, 68. And then he disappears. They don't talk no more, no more about the nature of his work. From your perspective, from your party's perspective, when you introduce Brother Kwame Ture and his impact, on the world and with an impression of African people. How would y'all paint the narrative of who was Brother Kwame Ture and some of the most important works that he has contributed to the African Revolution from y'all understanding? How would the history be written from your perspective? Well, and that's a that's a, that's a long discussion. That's a complicated uh, that's a that's a complicated question, and and I'll do my best. Um, I think when we talk about Kwame Ture um, as a representative of of the revolutionary struggle, that's what he was. 
um, he was a servant of, of the people. And so he has a history because uh, he didn't come into the world as uh, Kwame Ture. He came to the world as Tilbury Carmichael. And, and so I, I think that when you look at the end result, then you have to look at the process. And again, you have to look at the, the, what, is the, what is the environment, what are the conditions out of which Kwame Ture was born uh, in, in Trinidad. You know, and his, you know, you, you look at his history, his family, there's a history of, of, of organization and, and movement work in Trinidad. He's born into that. You know, and so that environment cultivated that, uh, that spirit of defiance against oppression, even as a, as a young kid. You know, and, and, and where he tried to vote for, um, and I cannot call the man's name, Uriah Butler, uh, for office at like nine years old. It's, that's that's something the people instilled in him. And so coming to into the United States, uh, you know, and, and being raised in an area where Zionism was dominant, you know, and, and him being associated with, quote, unquote, uh, Jews who, you know, were, you know, progressive, so to speak, you know, anti-repression forces, you know, they may have been CP or, or whatever, but I'm just saying that he, that was part of his growing up and the school he went to and all those things. And then having gone to Howard University and, 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 and you know, and, and joining the uh, SNCC there and, and, and everything that allowed him to get a better understanding of what we, we were confronting as a people. And so he was not always revolutionary, but by him staying engaged in the process of struggle, he came to the understanding that the only way that African people would ever be free would be to the, the, the total destruction of capitalism and imperialism and, and Zionism. He came to that understanding. And then, you know, he said even himself, he needed ideological direction, which ended up landing him in, in, in Guinea under, you know, the direction of uh, uh, Kwame Nkrumah and Secretary Ray. And, and so all these things impacted him to where he came, when he came back into the United States, he was clear on his identity. He was, you know, he was clear on the necessity for scientific socialism. He was clear that revolution was the only answer. He, you know, he was clear on these things. And so he was in the forefront of organizing and building the All African People's Revolutionary Party in the United States and, 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 and other areas, you know, of the African world, in Europe, et cetera, you know. Uh, and, and, and so the thing about Kwame, I think, is that Kwame is a reflection of the movement of the masses of our people. He was a genuine revolutionary uh, comrade uh, and Pan-Africanist, genuine. And so he always stayed close to the masses of the people. He was loved by the masses of the people because he demonstrated his, his love for them. And, uh, and, and, and to his transition to the, uh, to the ancestors, just before uh, he, he went home to Africa, never to, to leave again, uh, you know, he was, he was in Cincinnati, and, uh, and he did the debate of the, the, the decade with Malefi Asante. He was very ill at that time, which I didn't know. But Kwame was a fighter, and he was a fighter to the very end. And, and so he leaves a, a legacy and, 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 and a tradition by which, you know, we and GC and others uh, have inherited that, that struggle, that work, that commitment, that dedication 
to uh, to organize the mass of our people, and and so that's that's the Kwame I knew, and I was fortunate enough to meet Kwame when I was 19 years old, uh, in Columbus at Ohio State University, and that's where I joined the APRP myself, uh, back in in those days, and so uh, Kwame was a revolutionary. He he developed he developed to the, that revolutionary consciousness, and he lived the life of a revolutionary, and so that that's what I would say about the the question you raised. Okay, before we turn over the mic to some of our political panelists and analysts, I would like for you at least a little bit talk about this whole question of what is the All African People Revolutionary Party, GC, and how can people participate and support it and join it? Well, uh, I would say we are a small uh, group of committed uh, revolutionaries uh, who who just seek to make our humble contribution to the African Revolution and 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 to the struggle for Pan Africanism, one unified socialist Africa. Um, we we just want to make our contribution, and and we are we are encouraging Africans to join us in this work. Uh, and the work, you know, for us simply is, is mass political education, and that can happen in so many different forms and ways. But there's no question that the, the masses of our people are disorganized. They, we belong to no organization to channel our the, the, the mass energy towards, you know, our, our goals and our objectives. And, and so we are just one option or opportunity there are, there are others uh, organizations who, who who say that they're fighting for the people and it is not us to, to say that they're not but we offer GC as as an as a opportunity uh, to participate in revolutionary struggle and, and help take the measures of pan-Africanism uh, worldwide so that it is a popular idea and it is an idea whose time has come and that that's, that's we think is our work it is mass political education and the organization of our people. And, uh, you know, we can be uh contact. We do have a website, uh, www.aprp-gc.org. And, uh, you know, we can be contacted through there. Uh, you can also join up for membership there. And uh, we would definitely be ecstatic for, for you to join us in our struggle to build GC uh, and, and to help organize our people. Okay, this one time you're to Brother Juan Mukito. He's an organizer for the All African Peoples, Wilpshire Party, D.C. They have a very important event coming up. I would like to encourage you to check out and join it and participate, which will take place on November the 14th at 12 a.m. to some of the various social media mediums. And we will share that with you uh, shortly. But at this particular time, we will turn the mic over to one of our panelists and analysts, and we'll bring in Brother Haki. And the mic is yours, Brother Haki. Yeah, let me ask the brothers this question. I know it's somewhat uh, intricate, but uh, I'm going to ask you, for for sakes of uh, brevity, I'm going to just um, sort of um, state it in a way in which maybe it's unconventional. But the question is this. 
Uh, in terms of the motivation of human beings, and essentially, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that culture plays a part in terms of motivation of human beings. Also, take the position that is class that is the motivator in terms of human behavior. How do you uh, how do you reconcile the two two positions? Well, I mean, it, our, our view is is kind of what it is. Uh, I think we would fight for it. I mean, when we talk about culture, one of the the things that Sacred Trey has teaches is that revolution is an act of culture. And, and and so, with you know, to our understanding, culture is the framework for everything. It's it's the framework. It's 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 what welds uh, the African you know society and African people together. The culture, and and the fact that under capitalism and imperialism, our culture has been denigrated, and and you know, it, it's not practiced as it has been you know prior to. The invasions, et cetera, you know. Um, and so I'll, I'll only say that, you know, we we don't necessarily try to reconcile. Uh, again, we're just fighting for what we understand to be true. And and of course, uh, we can't say we have all truth. We we you know we we do the best we can. So if, if truth is presented to us and it makes, you know, it, it's understandable. And as you, as you said earlier, it's based on science. Then and we would go to that, you know. I hope I answered your question. Yeah, that's 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 good. Uh, one final question, brother. Uh, I think I should these very intricate questions, but I, why I got you here, you know, you uh, you're known for being a, a great thinker, so that's why I'm posing these questions to you. Now, the question in terms of, you know, in society, you know, often when we talk about class, one of the things that's ironic is that increasingly there is a a, a sector of society who uh, would never find a job in a lifetime. They're considered to be carried, be carried. And so in terms of organizing, I assume that represents some challenges. Do you ever have you ever thought about that? Well, the the the, the unemployed probably is the, that sector that we would have the most difficulty. Um, we would have the most difficult to organize because when when a people are living at the at the level of survival, the things that you talk about are not as relevant because they have to eat. You know, it's the same when you see in these neighborhoods where people stand on the on a corner at the light for ten hours. You know, that's their source of income. That's a, that's a, it's hard to you know to organize that element, uh, it, and you have to get there at some point uh, if you're talking about the chronically unemployed. Um, and, and so the the, the sector, the, I think there are two that really are most important for our struggle at this stage in, in history. And the one sector are the uh, students and youth. And I think the other is, is African women. And, uh, and I think that if we're able to um, mobilize and organize that sector, and then we will have the capacity to go amongst, you know, the, uh, the workers and the peasants and, and the unemployed, et cetera, and begin to also, um, Educate and, and organize them, all, you know. Educate and organize them also. But I think at this stage, the uh, the focus has to be on our youth, particularly students, and um, and, and African women. All right, brother Hackett. All right, thanks, thank brother. you. Thanks. All right, you're welcome. Let's 
Go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, your questions or comments, please. Thank you. Thank you, Brother After, uh, And thank you, Brother, for uh, your insights into the movement and, and the various struggles and issues that we encounter in the struggle for scientific socialism. Um, who are friends and who are enemies uh, is a crit- critical question when trying to make revolution, and certainly those who are part of the solution are uh, we must unite with and uh, and educate those who are part of the problem. Um, but at some point, you know, I suspect there will be a come a point in, in time where we will have to, the contradictions will become acute and um, and irreconcilable, and we must we have we have to have the discernment to know who who our real friends are, and uh, and because I I expect uh, a violent confrontation at some point in the future in terms of capitalism and socialism. Um, I don't. I don't know that I have any questions. Uh, um, um, it's just refreshing to hear, hear your analysis, and uh, I thank you. Uh, my brother, I, I thank you. You know, Brother Wally, one of the things um, when you think about highlighting the life and the legacy of Brother Kwame Therese in the seminar, uh, one of the things that comes to my mind is this importance of African leadership the rural leadership because you're having all kind of ideals and movements that are trying to convince our people that this is the correct path. So when we look at this whole question of rural African leadership today, what is the APRPGC perspective on the present state of the fail when it comes to African political leadership in general? Well, I don't think it's changed uh, since the coming of independence in the, in, in, in the early 60s. And I, again, I think Kuma was, was very precise and clear because when you talk and you go into the, uh, I think it's a handbook of revolutionary warfare where he talks about sham independence and genuine independence. Well, most of Africa was had it was and is sham independence, meaning it's neo-colonial, and uh, and that goes back to the city. Really, really, nothing has changed there. And I think if we look at the few who attempted to fight to be independent of imperialism to develop a socialist societies, a they were Pan-Africanists. So you you look at uh, Modibo Keita uh, and the party there in in Mali. Uh, you look at Nkrumah uh, in Ghana, and the CPP is a Pan-Africanist Socialist Party. Uh, you look at uh, the PDG, uh, Sekou a Socialist Pan-Africanist Party. And if you look at the uh, Congolese National Movement in, in, in Lumumba, it also was Socialist and Pan-Africanist. And, and so what happened to them, you know, uh, when we talk about this question of leadership, uh, well, the Mumu was assassinated, Nkrumah was overthrown, Modibo Keita was overthrown, and numerous attempts was made on, on the, the life of uh, Ahmed Sekou Touré. The country was v- invaded uh, on November uh, 
1970 by the Portuguese and, and French imperialism, you know, and so all the all of the leadership, the revolutionary leadership that had, was able to come to power, was 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 directly uh, attacked by, uh, you know, U.S. and European imperialism, you know, and and so those who abided with them and and, and maintained the economic ties, allowed them to continue to to rape the continent, then they were allowed to stay in power. And so Africa is neocolonial. It's just no question about it. It's neocolonial. And Krumah, I think, is very clear that the the countries of Africa as they are today are too small to be economically viable. And so the only solution for a viable, economically strong and powerful Africa, well organized, is Pan-Africanism. It's the, it's the United States of Africa. There's, you know, there's no other solution to that. And so the leadership of Africa is opposed to that idea. They've been opposed to it since the founding of the OU 1963. And so every effort has been made to sabotage the uh, fight for and, and, and the realization of a United States of Africa, and that goes on to this very day. Um and so, you know, there are two groups of forces inside of our community, as defined by our med secretary. One is called the people. That is the masses. And the, two, the other is called the anti-people. And the anti-people are those that the people are fighting primarily under the question of neocolonialism. And so, as a brother raised before, yeah, of course, there's, there's, there's going to be confrontation. It already is. It has been this way. Even before Europeans and others came into Africa, the fighting was on. That's how empires are built, you know. But the, the the essential question, you know, again is is questions of organization, and 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 uh, and you know, yes, and understanding who you're fighting, what you're fighting for, and what you're fighting against. But uh, you know, as the brother said, the struggle continues. And we may have one of our panelists. Brother Anthony has just joined us. We want to give him a few minutes to raise any comments or questions that he may have for you, Brother Wadu Kito, as relates to the upcoming seminar that will be hosted by the AAPRPGC, November 14th. Brother Anthony, welcome to Africa on the Move. The mic is yours. Uh, thanks for having uh, me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you. Uh, the fellow panelists, our uh, special guest, and the listening audience. Um, just wanted uh, one comment I wanted to make was uh, 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 it's often forgotten that the OAU was a compromise between those uh, forces for genuine independence and Pan Africanism. And those for, those forces that settled settled for sham independence, which is one of the reasons why the OAU has so has uh, been so ineffective at alleviating the problems uh, that Africa suffers from to this day. And uh, and from what and uh, you know from what can be observed, the AU, the African Union isn't much an, a, 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 of an improvement on that. And I wanted to raise that. And also, um, how uh, how is the work of um, 
uh, 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 being continued in the present day by uh, more uh, more recent organizations uh, such as uh, the Parti de la Revolution Populaire Africaine de Guinée, Friends of the Congo, Congo, and uh, the Asasifo Movement of Ghana. Of course, the Pan-Africanist Congress of Azania has been around since the days of uh, that when when Mobadipo Keita Nkrumah and uh, Ahmed Sekou you know, had state power in their respective uh, uh, countries inside of Africa. But um, how is that? Um, how, uh, what new developments? Uh, are on the horizon in terms of countering uh, the onslaught of imperialism and neo-colonialism from your point of view? Well, I mean, the best I can say is kind of what I see. Uh, And and I I really don't think I see anything probably different from anyone else, but I think it's obvious that, uh, you know, on on a worldwide basis that the level of repression and and exploitation of our people, the, the assassination and murder of those who are seeking to address the problems and issues we face as a people is at an all-time uh, high, whether it be in Africa or the South and Central America. You know, there's the, those of us who are, who are involved uh, in these various areas, they're being assassinated. Uh, because the level of, of conflict, as the brother was talking about earlier, uh, between the people and, and the elite, the, the rich, uh, the exploiters, you know, the, it is becoming more acute. And that's everywhere. And so you can see it in Guinea, uh, the people in the streets. You see it in Nigeria, people in the streets, all of Africa. People, the, you, the masses are fighting for their dignity. They're fighting for their emancipation, their liberation. Uh, but obviously, it, it just appears they're not well organized. You don't know, but but at least at least we can see that the, the historical evolution of our people's struggle continues. You know, and and then you know, out of uh, out of that struggle, the, the level of consciousness and the 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 the, the organizational expressions of the people are going to also be there, um, whether it's us or somebody else or something new, uh, because the uh, Kwame used to always say it, our people are going to be free. That Of this, there is no question. And so the organization of mass is not a question of if, it's just a question of when. And uh, and so that's what I see. I just see our people suffering uh, worse now, you know, or as worse than we have have ever. Uh, but there is, there is fight, and there is struggle between those uh, of our people that are exploiting our people and our people themselves. Uh, hope I answered your question. You did. Thanks, brother. And Walimu, if you can talk just a little bit, and then we allow you to make a summation on the upcoming seminar that your organization is hosting. If you could just talk a little bit, uh, a little bit about uh, this concept of neocolonialism, and how does that, or what is its relationship? And one critique critique the electoral politics that is being played within 
the African communities inside as well as outside the United States. What is the similarities and differences when you talk about this whole issue of neocolonialism and these electoral politics that are going on within the various African communities? What is the difference or is there a difference? Well, I think one, I think sometimes we get confused about the concepts. You know, Kwame Ture used to always talk about um, conception. You know, there, you know, uh, was that he always said power uh, begins with conception. That's one of the things he used to always say. And so when we talk about these elections, the enemy, I think they, they spread confusion because capitalism teaches the people that the election is going to change their materiality, the, the contradiction. So if you elect this person, then they're going to address racism. If you elect this person, they're not going to address racism. If you elect this person, it's going to be fascism. Well, if you elect that person, it won't be fascism. That's nothing but confusion. Because capitalism is what it is. And so you can't change it by voting within it, even though as a, as a party, we don't criticize anybody that votes, not at all. But you can't change the system through, through the vote. That ain't going to happen inside the United States that I think we can conceptualize. And so to participate in electoral politics once every four years does nothing to change the conditions which even those who are voting uh, uh, you know, it does nothing to change the condition in which they live, not, not at all. It's really an irresponsible approach to emancipation of freedom. And that's one of the things that's not on the ballot, freedom. That's not on the ballot. Liberation is not on the ballot. You know, the only thing on the ballot are those things that address the issues of oppression and exploitation. So, of course, you need... You know, you might have a, a school levy because you want to keep the school open. But school should be free. It shouldn't even be an issue. There's nothing more important than the education of our youth. That's that's the principal issue. You know, but capitalism does not address the needs of, of the people. Um, and so when you talk about neocolonialism, again, we use the, uh, the, the language of Ahmed Secretary. You have the people and the anti-people. Well, when Africa became independent, the anti-people came to power inside of Africa. In the Caribbean, all over where our people live and, and, and are, are predom- you know, dominant players in terms of society, like in the Caribbean, that the anti-people came to power. And the anti-people were those people that were trained under the colonial regimes. They got colonial educations, and so they accepted the ideology of colonialism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when they came to power, they allowed the European imperialists to continue to do what they do, and then they were allowed to steal for themselves. You know, And so, again, when we talk about electoral politics, all of the representatives in the United States, and I'll use the U.S. as an example, all of them 100% support capitalism, 100%. Because if they did not support capitalism, they wouldn't be running for office. They're trying to define Biden as a socialist. That's the level of confusion that they are permeating amongst the mass of our people. Biden is for capitalism. Biden is for racism. Biden is for Zionism. 
Check the platform of the Democratic Party. It's really no different from the platform of the Republican Party. And so what you vote for is the continuation of oppression. The only issue is the methodology. Republican Party may be a little bit more right-wing, maybe. But I know in the 60s when they were shooting us in the streets and had the U.S. Uh, National Guard and, 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 and across this country, it was the Democratic Party. So we're not critical of those who vote. But at the same time, we have to understand that when we talk about liberation, it ain't about the vote. It's about organization and it's about the fight for our dignity and for our rights as human beings. That's a fight. Because capitalism will not give that to us. We, that we must take. And so, again, Africa is under neocolonialism. Even within the context of the United States and electoral politics, they support capitalism. It's just what it is. Because they're either Democrat or they're Republican. It's, it's just reality. And we're anti-capitalists. We're socialists. We're anti-occupation the of, of the Western Hemisphere by so-called American imperialism, we're opposed to that. And anyone who advocates that, we couldn't be for. That is a matter of principle. So, you know, again, we, we're not critical of, of those who participate in electoral process. It's just not enough. Just not enough. We have, to, we have to be clear on who our enemy is, our enemies are, and we have to, as our brother said, you got to be clear on who your friends are and, and that we must be prepared to fight. In closing, Brother Wadamu, can you just again make a appeal to our listening audience why they should listen and participate and how they can participate in the upcoming seminar, give the logistical information, and how they can stay in touch and support the AEPRPGC? Well, again, first, I think, you know, our website is, a, is a, the best way to, to get information about what we're doing, trying to do, and to communicate. And it's www.aaprp-gc.org. Um, again, I think we'll have a great discussion. Again, we are not arrogant in, in, in what we think we understand, but we want to have a genuine uh, discussion and struggle around the question of the direction that we must go and, and the, the, the commitment we must have for our emancipation. And, and that's why we chose the theme, if Africa's children cannot alleviate her suffering, we can at least share them fully. And that's the essence of, I think, revolutionary struggle, is that you know, no African is free until all Africans are free. So we, have, uh, I, I, we, we hope to, 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 to suggest we have a, a very good uh, seminar, uh, good discussion, with knowledgeable uh, individuals representing uh, organizations that are actively involved in the struggles of our people, uh, and then we'll give you know. Of course, there'll be time for the for the for people to ask questions or comments or whatever at, at the end of the uh, the seminar. But these types of programs are are seminars are needed around the question of ideas, around the questions of principles, around the questions of how we define our enemy and who are those types of discussions need to be uh, need to be taking place. And once the decisions are made, then we must be ready for implementation. And on that note, we'd like to thank you, Brother Juan Mukito, 
for sharing and giving us an update on the upcoming event, the Kumism Tourism Seminar, and its tribute to Brother Kwame Ture, which will be November the 14th, basically about two weeks away. So to our listeners, right. please, please go and visit the website, check out what is the APRTGC, and share the information because we must do this together. And where they are using your thought, we can have used your action. And again, Brother Wanmo, we thank you for your contribution to today's program. And again, on, on behalf of the APIPGC, we, we're very happy to have been a part of this uh, discussion, and hopefully we made uh, some contribution to it. All right. Thank you. So, listen, audience, you have been listening to Brother Wanmo, keep the organizer for the African People's Rubbership Party, TC. At this point in time, we're going to take a cultural liberation break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss with our political panelists and analysts on what's going on in their world and the community. We encourage you to call in at 323 to share your perspectives on what's going on in your world and the community. You are listening to Africa on the Moon. We are having some technical difficulties there with us, and we should be on a break shortly.
caught her in chains, living in pain. Today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey. Yeah, to last through my journey. When we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know. That I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, Hellerino. A bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino is the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights, pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, 
and all the Pelorinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be, to know that I've been here, and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer. To give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do, because Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. That's right. Welcome back to Africa on the Moon. Now and does. Palestine needs her freedom. All oppressed people need their freedom. And we're going to try to do the best we can to make our contribution to free humanity from all of the various forms of oppression. We would like to make a quick announcement that, as we discussed just recently, on the upcoming Enkumism Terrorism Seminar, as they pay a tribute to Kwame Kure. You also will be able to hear the program on Africa on the Moon on November 14th from 12 noon Eastern Time to 2.30 p.m. So this will be one of the forms where you can also hear and listen to the program. But please go to the AAPRPGC website and check out the information on how you can participate. So right now we're going to bring our political panelists back in and 
We encourage you as well, if you are listening and want to call in and share with us what's going on in your world community, you can do that at dialing 323-679-0841. Please hit 1, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. So right now, we're going to bring back Brother Hakeem. Brother Hakeem, we're going to ask you the question of what's going on in your world and the community. Brother Hakeem. Well, recently, of course, you know, uh, the Orange Menace, Trump's uh, son-in-law, his so-called support, made a statement recently in which he talked about the fact uh, that uh, Trump is of great benefit to the African community. But he cautioned that uh, in order for African people to be successful, we got to want to be successful. Now, if if you decode this language, essentially what he's saying in a nutshell is that African people are essentially lazy. That's what he's saying. So when we talk about the, the structural barriers that African people have to confront with on a daily basis, when we talk about um, lack of access to opportunity, when we talk about uh, people consciously not hiring people based upon skin color, none of that's of any concern to this guy, Jared Kushner. His position is that, you know, the problem essentially is one in the minds of African people. So it's ironic that you have these people in positions of power who think like that. So it seems to me that when you got people in positions of power who think that the problem is with African people and not with the, with a the system or systematic oppression, then it seems to me as African people that we have to come to the realization that we got a problem. And that is that any time you uh, label a people as somehow superfluous or you la- la- label them as somehow ineffective or ineffectual or you label them as somehow uh, useless or hopeless, then essentially what you're doing is you, you're creating a scenario in which these kind of people, um, uh, if, if, if someone got in their mind that the elimination of these kind of people uh, should take place, there are many people who, of course, will support the notion that, you know, eliminating these kind of people is a blessing to society. So this is the implicit danger. And so when we talk about fascism in society and when we talk about the systematic abuse uh, that take place and the economic disparities that exist in society, keep in mind, all those things impact society across the board, but they particularly impact African people. But the mere fact that they impact African uh, uh, people of power, uh, people of power in a position to actually deflate the their, 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 their causal relationship, they're the, they're the reason why the economy is in such decline, but they can deflect that, that responsibility and blame poor people, in particular, in particular, to blame African people. And so, therefore, when we talk about this rise in terms of fascism, the expansion of fascism in society, then this notion in terms of a final solution to get rid of these people who are a burden on society uh, rings, 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 rings loud and clear, particularly when someone like Kushner makes a statement that African people don't want to be successful. So I don't know if people get the, infer- the inference in terms of what he's saying, but clearly what he's saying is a very dangerous thing. The only thing I can say to, to, to my brothers and sisters out there who are listening, create those organizations you know, enlighten yourself as to what's going on because the situation is that one thing is very, very clear, that these people in positions of power are actually pushing for the elimination of African people in society because it's, 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 it doesn't address the problem. Uh, it's, it's really a scapegoat uh, uh, method, measure. Uh, you know, by blaming African people, you can just disregard the fact that the system itself is, in fact, corrupt or is the system, in fact, ineffective or the system is, in fact, uh, uh, in, in, in um uh, incapable of dispensing justice. You can dispense with all of that and simply blame African people. So I certainly hope African people understand the implications of what he's saying and the danger of that 
specifically when people power say make those kind of ignorant statements. So clearly, we the the the, 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 the situation where our people is perilous in society, and there there's no other way to put it. Uh, and this is not an exaggeration. This is very real stuff. So if we don't understand the implication of what's going on in society, then you know when the when 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 push comes to shove, I don't know what we're going to do in terms of our longevity. You know, if we don't uh, come to realization uh, that something's fundamentally wrong with the society. What can you say, Brother Aki? The level of insult and disrespect when it comes to African people is amazing. But let's move on to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world in the community? Okay. Uh, uh, Several things. Um, Trump is um intensifying the repression against the uh the, the, the Cuban people uh even further by um uh, uh placing further strict uh restrictions on the remittances that can be sent to Cuba by those Cubans living inside the US. And uh you know, and is and is uh, you know a continuation and an intensification of the decades-old uh, methods of trying to uh, force the Cuban people uh, to uh, you know to uh, you know to turn uh, you know to go back to the days of neo-colonial neo-colonialism and turn their backs on their efforts to build scientific socialism in their society. Also, uh, uh, let's see, the the recently elected president of Bolivia from the movement towards Socialism Party, MAS, its uh, Spanish uh, acronym, uh, indicated that that, that Bolivia intends to uh, restore relations with Cuba, Venezuela, and Iran. Uh, you know, uh, you know, to build those, forge those relations with those countries that respect Bolivia's right to choose its own path of economic development, and uh, you know, that's uh, the gist of what's uh, was happening, you know, out, uh, you, you know, in the diaspora, and also at home. There are Africans, uh, you know, fighting against police repression uh, in the streets and areas such as Nigeria and uh, Guinea, which was uh, might have been alluded to earlier today. And so uh, whether we're at home or in the diaspora, we need to organize ourselves in order to defend our, our lives, culture, and our right to exist. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Moses, we're coming to you. What's going on in your world and the community? Thank, thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. Um, certainly, Trump is a big issue in my mind. Um, Trump, you know, represents fascism. The purpose of fascism is to eliminate communism. And uh, if people can't see the differences between the dialogue and the 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 ideology that Trump is espousing, and and the neoliberalism that that uh, that uh, Biden is espousing, I don't know what to say. Uh, there's a, a clear 
the personification of fascism, the open tyranny of finance capital. Trump is everything is and you know, everything that that means. And um, I don't. I, I just continue to sound the alarm. Who who has believed our report though? But um, anyway, it's it's just that's that's the big deal. Tuesday will be tell a story. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Panelists, what we're going to do is we're going to ask you in terms of closing up the program. Um, just give us some final thoughts for tonight. Um, start off with you, Brother Anthony. What will be your final thoughts for tonight? My final thought for tonight is that we must uh, uh, organize. And uh, we have an obligation as children of Africa to try to alleviate her suffering. And uh, not being able to do that, we can at least share them fully. And we must be organized because that is the only way we going to, uh, the conditions will improve for the masses of uh, people of, of Africans throughout the world at home, and in the diaspora. So join an organization that's working for people, and in particular, join or support the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. And you can find out more information about us by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. Brother Moses? Your final thoughts for tonight. Well, Ray, it's been interesting. Um, I, I, um, I hope that um, that people wake up and and smell the coffee and and see what's really going on in this country. And uh, I hope that uh, we can delineate the personalities and the political objectives behind the personalities, and uh, and come to a proper conclusion about the, the differences because people are different. Uh, 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 there's a path to socialism and, and Trump Trump knows that Biden is, is, the, is the closer path to socialism in terms of opposing him and uh, he said it basically. I mean he, he's saying that uh, that's the unity of opposites. Uh, communists and fascism have, have a unity of opposites in that we both See the same thing. It's just that we're coming from different points of objectives and different aspirations and different interests. But but definitely this is a, a critical election, a critical point in the evolution of, of dialogue and historical materialism and the political economy towards fascism versus capitalism versus socialism. Uh, uh, we have a united front. That that began during World War II with Roosevelt, Stalin, and Churchill, and it's continued because uh, fascism has reared its head and it must be eliminated every time it, it peeps up. And so we have a tit for tat struggle with fascism, and uh, and I take it very very seriously because I'm a student of the international communist movement. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. And thank you, Brother Moses, for your contribution to today's program. And brother, brother Haki, your final thoughts for tonight. 
Yeah, one thing one thing is very very clear. We have to seriously think about which way forward in the society. Uh, one of the things, if we think electoral politics is a solution, then I think we're fairly sadly mistaken. Uh, clearly, electoral politics is fine in, in the sense that you get the opportunity to express, you know, uh, some concerns. But the very structural problems that are confronted by the Afghan community is confronted with uh, are simply too deep for electoral politics to address. And so, therefore, given that reality. Is it coming upon our people to create organization? Uh, if we're going to save the children, then it is us. It is not some outside entity that's going to save our children. It is us. We have to decide if we want to what we're going to do in terms of surviving society. That is not done hyperbole by any stretch of the imagination. That is very cold and very, very real. The disparity, uh, the, the the propensity of uh, the world, the world's on Wall Street. Give tons and tons of money um, to his wealthy uh, investors, to wealthy corporations at the expense of all others. <sighs> Clearly, something has to give. And so, when we talk about the enormous amount of stress inflicted upon people in society generally, that stress is magnified when we talk about the African community. So, the question is, what are we going to do in terms of um, effectively dealing with a lot of the stress that we are feeling? And keep in mind that the stress does uh, intimately impact. Our children, not only in terms of emotional, but also it affects, it affects them intellectually because emotional stability is a big part in terms of learning. So clearly, we got a, we got issues cut out for us, and always, brother Africa, I encourage people, you know, to unravel the matrix because uh, that's key uh, to our longevity society. And with that, brother Africa, you have a good night. And you say, brother Hacking, you like to thank all all of our political panelists and analysts for their participation too. Uh, today's program, we'd like to thank our special guest, Brother Yohan Mokito, with the All African Peoples, Revolution Party GC, and informing us and inviting us to participate on the upcoming political seminar dealing with the Koreanism, Tourism, and the tribute to our brother Kwame Ture, which will be November the 14th from 12 noon to 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S., we encourage you for more information, please visit the website at www.a-aprp.cc.org. And we also remind you that you also can hear it on this station on the 14 and 12 noon. So like always, we'd like to encourage everybody to continue to strive to go forward ever, back with never. Spread the word. We'll be here next week. Same time, same station. And again, we thank you for allowing us to come into your homes this evening where we can speak truth to power and to the value with information so that you can use it as a tool for liberation. And that is to help liberate your people and to help free humanity from all forms of oppression. Until next time, you listen to Brother Africa or Africa on the Moon, and we ask the same question that Brother Margaret asked back in the 60s. What is going on? And the best way to figure that one out is to get organized. We'll see you next week. Y'all yeah, been listening to Africa on the Moon. Hey, hey, hey. hey what's up, man? Brother, oh, what's up? Uh, this is a hey, big party, man. Yeah, I brother, can dig it. Stop right on. <laughs> hey, man, what's your name?
Yeah. 